0: boy, um, Ben Simmons suffered a partial dislocation of his left kneecap, he needs arthroscopic surgery to remove a loose body from the knee, and his season is in doubt. Let's talk all about it. Sports are back, finally. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already a diehard basketball fan, and that means you'll definitely want to be an Athletic subscriber. From oral histories of video breakdowns, salary cap explainers to in-depth features, you can find it all at The Athletic. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. All right. Welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers beat a part of the athletics podcast network. So I guess if you haven't been paying attention, a lot has happened since our last podcast. The Sixers are three and one in Orlando. Three straight wins. Three straight wins. That is the, that's the end of the positive update that I have. Um, in the latest, in two games ago, um, God, what team was that? Washington. 50, Washington. All jumbled together. Uh, Benson is left in the third quarter. Um, he was sort of clutching and flexing his left leg. We found out later that he had a knee injury, a left knee injury. Uh, it was a subluxation, subluxation, subluxation. Yep. Subluxation of his, Patellar, uh, which is a – basically in layman's terms a – and you talk to doctors so you can feel free to jump in here. But it is a partial dislocation of his kneecap. Um, he then – it was announced today on Saturday that he would have to get arthroscopic surgery to remove a loose body from the knee.
1: That's the key detail that was not revealed in the reporting up to that point. OK, there was no ligament damage. But was there any bone damage? And the, right. uh, one of the doctors that I talked to mentioned the possibility of, well, if there's a loose body, you have to get surgery likely. And, uh, yeah, loose body is basically just a fragment of bone that, uh, that pops out and is kind of floating around your kneecap. And, uh, it's one of the things that generally you have to get surgery for. And I guess the fact that the sixers were, saying that Simmons was debating his options i mean if there if that bone injury did not happen it seemed pretty cut and dry unless like there was ligament damage that he might be able to come back for the playoffs that but that he wouldn't need surgery you know patrick mahomes completely dislocated his uh his patella and uh he came back i don't know in like 3 or 4 weeks and obviously a different sport and everything but the the idea there was he didn't have any surrounding damage and the uh, – yeah, the loose loose body is the uh, – that's the key part of this and it sucks.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's one of the things when you start researching sort of like the range of timeline for this injury. Like it could be uh, – what was it? Alan Crabb I think missed like 10 days because of this yep. um, or it could be an Andrew Bynum situation from back in 2008. When he could have the injury in January and be done for the year. And a lot of it depends on, you know, what cartilage and ligament and, and, and bone fragments that are surrounding that uh, dislocation. So ESPN, Adrian Wojanowski, uh, didn't come right out and say that he is out for the season, but he's likely out for the season, barring a deep playoff run, which would seem like that would be conference finals or finals best case scenario. Um. So odds are Ben Simmons will not be suiting up for the remainder of the 2020 or 2019 2020 season. I forgot what season we're in because it feels like we should be getting ready for the 2020 2021 season, but we're not. <sighs> Where do we even begin? I I guess we'll start off. We, you and I just wrote, and I joked on Twitter, and it's not really a joke. It's more like a sympathy tweet. Um, but it would not be the the a week before the playoffs if we were not writing about a major injury to a six or star player. Are they done, Rich Hoffman? Are they done?
1: I'm very careful to say that they're completely done. I would say they are likely done, and, and the reason I don't want to say it, and maybe this is the wrong reason, but I remember our friends Bo Wolf and Shil Kapadia had the most legendary podcast, the most infamous. Podcast and Birds with Friends history after Carson Wentz tore his ACL and MCL and whatever the hell else he did to his knee at the uh, the Coliseum in Los Angeles, declaring that the Eagles were done. They were in fact not done. Um, I would say likely that they're done. It's uh, as much as we like to analyze the specifics of basketball, the on-off numbers, and we're going to get into that and all the different things that we can pick apart from a basketball game. It's hard to win when your second best player is not available like that. That hurts. And uh in the Sixers case, when their second best player is as good as Ben Simmons is, that's going to hurt. Now, I, I guess the only reason I'm going to say they're not a hundred percent done is that Joel Embiid is playing at a ridiculously high level. He always plays at a ridiculously high level, but even for him, and i like that he uh he timed his one bad half in the bubble for uh for when he was on TNT so he could get <laughs> destroyed by Barkley and Draymond Green and you could see that he was subtweeting them earlier today saturday when he said not that same energy i'm i'm pretty sure that was because Nikola Jokic had a bad half and uh, i did not watch the uh the halftime show but I don't think they really gave it to him. Like they seem to enjoy killing Embiid, who has been awesome in the bubble. And he was awesome in the third quarter of that game against Orlando. Didn't really have the jumper working, but got to the free throw line. So basically I would say, you know, unlike the past years, because it's been him who has been questionable for the playoffs, I feel better about the Sixers. If you're going to make me pick between one of the two, Joel playing at his highest level is it's more impactful than Ben. you'd rather have both, obviously, but I can't say they're done just because he has played well. They are going to space the floor around him. It's look as much as we like talking about the chess move of Simmons playing the four, putting up at the elbows. I thought that was intriguing. <laughs> I really wanted to watch it some more.
0: We spent so much time talking about that. No, eh, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, now he's um he's sitting on the bench or outside of the bubble, good for him. Go fishing whenever he wants. The uh yeah, I mean as much as we talked about that,
0: was this Ben Simmons fishing a thing before Orlando or is that something he started doing because he had a lot of free time and there weren't that many activities? I guess growing up in Australia it was probably a pretty good chance he was a, a fisherman. I don't
1: know. I, I follow know. him on Instagram. It seems like not in the, uh, in his photos, but on his stories. It seems like he, he goes to places in New Jersey to fish or at least it has is. during the pandemic. Anyway, we can talk about Ben fishing for a lot, lot longer, but yeah, I guess as, as intriguing as the, the role reassignment that was going on with Simmons. It is clear that his spacing is, it's a problem for Embiid in the playoffs. And I think it's, it's the same thing when Embiid leaves the lineups. The Sixers have this weird thing where both of their stars, when the other one is out, the, uh, they each can really carry the team and pick up the slack and then some. Now they're not completely consistent with it, but it's one of these weird things where I don't think they're better, obviously when one of them leaves the lineup, but it becomes a cleaner fit. The team has an easier identity. I don't think like Brett Brown would have gotten killed if they, and he'll probably get killed anyway when they lose. But I don't think they're going to lose in the playoffs because he wasn't able to make the pieces fit. I think it's going to be pretty simple. Just post up Joe as much as you can and spread the floor around him with shooters. And that makes sense. But the question now is if they have enough talent and defense and...
0: Now you just need to get some of those shooters.
1: Yeah, and if those shooters are making the, the shots around Embiid. So I, I guess that's how I would look at it. The, uh, the other thing before I, I throw it back to you, because I, I was shocked when I looked this up, and this is in our back and forth at the athletic. Please subscribe if you haven't. In 1229 possessions this season, how many, uh, What's the net rating of the Sixers with uh with Embiid on the floor and Simmons off, Mister Bodner?
0: <sighs> I feel like I should know this off the top of my fucking head. Um, I didn't know. It off I will the top say of my head. a plus six. Double bet. Really? Okay. So- I knew it was good. I didn't know it was that good.
1: So they're killing teams, and, you know, I know the the Horford pairing, it's a very small sample size, and they're playing against some garbage-ass teams in Orlando. But if you're looking for some optimism, Embiid's been good, and they've been good in this situation, admittedly, against a bunch of uh, backup units throughout the year. But, yeah, if you're going to make me pick against them in a series against Miami or Boston, I will – uh I will not be picking them, that's for sure.
0: I still I um, I would still be tempted with Miami. Uh we we have plenty of time to get into that. And losing Simmons defensively is a huge loss, especially when you start talking about the two teams they could play with the way he matched up against Jim Butler and the way he matched up against Jason Tatum. That's probably right now and, and that's as part of the back and forth on the athletic.com. If you don't have a subscription, the athletic.com slash sixers beat. Which we're can just, ju- just going to plug just- it 50 <laughs> times before
1: this episode's over.
0: <laughs> Rich and I just finished wrote it, writing about this and some of the biggest takeaways from the loss of Simmons, so go check that out. Um, but I think defensively is where the biggest loss is because, totally it, especially agree. against these two potential matchups, because of the ways, uh, of the success Simmons did have and how he can, look, what Jimmy Butler does for Miami is critical to their offensive success. If you can blanket him with a guy like Simmons, that's going to increase your chances quite a bit
1: and, and he did that in two of the four games there was that yeah. one disaster where that I unfortunately had to attend where Ben afterwards just said we're soft and for some reason those two words made the uh the next day's news cycle even though he says it six times a year but in a couple of those other games he completely shut down Jimmy in the the one overtime game where they screwed up and beat through the ball away at the end of the game Butler was having a really hard time even getting a shot yeah. up against him and uh I looked it up. Tatum, you know, we uh we killed Simmons last week for the uh for the TJ Warren evisceration. Yep. And sometimes I do think we can and and it's not really us for the most part, even though I, I did tweet out the TJ Warren one because uh that was too juicy not to share he but
0: played like shit that game though.
1: Yeah. No, but I just think sometimes either good or bad, you can look at the the matchup numbers on NBA.com and then you oh, can re- sure. you can rewatch a game and think, ah, oh, that was a little noisy in either direction. Like maybe he was not quite as bad as those numbers say or maybe he wasn't quite as good. Maybe the guy just missed some shots. Against Jason Tatum in four games and he was the primary person that Simmons defended. Jason Tatum, five for 16 from the field in four games for yeah. 18 points with four yep. assists and two turnovers.
0: Woof. No, and look, Tatum, he took a monster leap this year. He's a very big part, obviously, of what Boston does. And Simmons gave him, I mean, he really, really bothered him. And that's a really big part of what you're going to do. It's great that you have Joel Embiid, but especially with someone like Tatum, Tatum has that really good in-between game where he's coming off of a screen. He's coming off of pick and roll. And he can, he can stop before Embiid challenges that shot. He can make that mid-range, that floater game, a high percentage look. And he's extended his range out to three-point range. You need a guy like Simmons to blanket him. You're going to need someone like Josh Richardson. It would be great if he could arrive in Orlando because you could really use him right now. Um, <laughs> the Sixers just have fewer options defensively than they did a week ago. And that's a, that's a, I mean, look, we're with Simmons. He's such a lightning rod offensively and it's impossible not to talk about the jumper, about the half court offense, about whether or not you can, other teams can take advantage of it. And look, I think Boston two years ago, Took advantage of Ben Simmons in the half court. I think Ben Simmons really struggled, obviously, against the Raptors last year. Like, there is some real, I, I had multiple different league executives text me and be like, I'm not sure this really hurts the Sixers too much in the playoffs. And a lot of that is because of what you can do to scheme against Ben Simmons and, and specifically how you can then use that to make Joel Embiid's life a little bit more difficult. And I, I think, I think Ben Simmons is a little, there's not only in the, the, public sphere but also in, in nba sphere as well he's still a, a somewhat controversial offensive player but the one side that's not controversial at all, almost everybody will acknowledge what he means to this team's defense and that is a, a really big loss in a, in a like i said in playoff series where you really would have needed him i guess moving on sort of look at him, by being, the way
1: look at you drop in the a couple league executives text. yeah i it. don't
0: i don't i don't really like doing that all that often but i i Legitimately had one today, so it, it, uh, it was on top of my mind.
1: I was gonna point that out, regardless though, you know? Yeah. Um, you're big time, you know? You got a big, big Rolodex. <laughs>
0: yeah. Alright, let's pause for a brief break to hear from DraftKings. Grab your peanuts and popcorn baseball is back. That's right, the boys will be getting back out on a diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them in a stadium, there is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. There is no better place to get in on the action of DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate baseball coming back, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering free bets for every home run your team hits. Taking advantage of this Grand Slam offer is easy. All you have to do is place a pre-game bet of at least $25 on your home team, and for every home run they hit in that game, you'll get $5 worth of free bets. Additionally, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new users a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. And don't worry if baseball isn't your game, DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports, ranging from MMA to basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code QUICK when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code QUICK to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania-only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times. Playthrough restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. Embiid. So you, you, you brought him up and how important he is. And I mean, he's always important. And we've seen, you know, a decent chunk of the Sixers play with Simmons without Embiid. And we saw that two years ago when they went on that, I forget, 16-game run, 17-game run. I forget whatever winning streak. But however large it was, the Six went on a really good run at the end of the season with basically Simmons and four shooters surrounding him. We haven't seen nearly as much with Embiid without Simmons. We had a little bit at at the end of the season when Simmons went down with the uh, nerve impingement in his lower back. But that was like this team was still very in flux at that point. We don't see too much where the team is at full strength without Simmons but with Embiid and the way he has played in Orlando, I would, in a normal podcast, you and I would have started this talking about Joel Embiid's post passing, but it really was right when they started playing games that mattered in Orlando, it was like, holy shit, that's different. And it's not just different because he's having success scoring in the post. There's a patience. There's he looks like he knows how to attack a double team. Now there's passing, there's reposting. They're cutting off of him a lot more than they used to have. He spent a lot of time during this um, coronavirus pandemic working with Drew Handlin, Drew Handlin and working with Sixers coaches specifically for his face-up game and also to be more patient out of the post and work on his ball handling and passing and decision-making. It looks like he spent a lot of – it looks like he used that time well because he really does – there's just – it's hard to describe. There's a patience that he has really never played that facet of the game with. And it's it's created scoring opportunities for his teammates. It's creating fewer bad shots for Embiid, fewer turnovers for Embiid. And those are all, you know, I think a lot of times when you look at Joel Embiid's sort of advanced stats, they will not paint him as sort of the dominant offensive player that the raw stats do and that the eye tests do. And a lot of that comes down to the negative plays that he tends to have, specifically out of the post and those turnovers and bad shots and, 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 and whatnot. He looks like a completely different player, and if you want one source of optimism, it's that he finally sort of looks like, especially going into playoffs late in the season, he finally looks like that sort of MVP caliber player the Sixers need him to be.
1: He's just not freaking out anymore Yeah, when he uh, when he gets doubled. I think that's when he gets in trouble, when he takes a couple of retreat dribbles and then picks the ball up and is... He's not on balance. He's falling back towards the, the out of bounds line. It's not like on all of these passes, he is anticipating where the rotations are coming right away. Like, uh, like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady might with a, uh. You
0: know what, you know what's nice? He realized he's seven foot two yeah. and he can hold the ball over his head and it's hard to get to. It's hard
1: to get to. And I, I think Same time. if he, you know, there are a few times where, yeah, it's, it's like you mentioned there he is completely doubled before he gets rid of the pass but if he holds it up high and is facing the uh the defense he he has that extra second to diagnose what's happening and for the most part he's able to uh deliver the ball on time and that's resulted in passes for cuts for uh, for buckets i think simmons had one of those where he where he timed to cut really well he's hitting guys on the weak side right in their shooting pocket, which has been really impressive. But there are other times where the double comes from the top and he'll throw it and then it'll be one or two passes swing or, or swing, swing, and they'll get an open three out of it. And I guess that is how they're going to have to play with, with Simmons out. The, uh, the term is horsing him that Brett Brown will say, <laughs> I guess that means just, just riding um, him as, as much as uh you can take him And Look, he needs to prepare for the most grueling physical and mental part of his career so far. I guess I shouldn't say it's probably pretty grueling to sit out for two seasons and not play. But in terms of what is going to be expected of him on a night-to-night basis, you can quibble with some of the stuff that Ben has done offensively, but it's clear that he takes some of the load off of his shoulders, and there is value in that. That's pretty much gone. He's going to have to post up every possession. And I really think the uh, the uh TNT analysis, why don't you score in the paint on every possession, is a little damn simplistic. I mean, they, Van Gundy the other night saying every jump shot, why is he facing up? It's like he shoots 45% and gets fouled a shit ton on face-up jumpers. Right. It's not the worst thing in the world to do. And he doesn't usually shoot 0 of 9 outside of the paint. It's,
0: right, and a lot of times when you look at, at his free throw, his, his prolific—like he's pretty much only behind Harden in getting the free throw line. A lot of that's face-up bullshit shenanigans with the rip through and totally. like, stuff that would piss me off if I was a fan of another team. But like, it's not like he's a typical mid-range shooter where you go, "Oh, well, forty-five percent is poor efficiency." No, he's getting the free throw line on those.
1: He's not Tobias Harris on those. <laughs>
0: right. don't, oh, don't get me started. Oh. oh, that was rough,
1: and we'll we'll talk about him in a minute. But you did see, I will say like the commentary that Draymond and Chuck and all those guys had, they weren't completely wrong in that game because in the second half, Joe plays his worst half of the bubble. And in the third quarter, he just decided I'm going to get to the free throw line of shit then. And I'm going to post up Vucevic really hard. And it wasn't perfect. You know, you can see sometimes where they don't get him the ball in that split second he's open. And then he basically has to post up near the three-point line, but he still found a way to burrow his way down to the basket. Did spectacular job in that third quarter, I thought, of getting to the line on a night where he just didn't have any touch. And that's not going to be most nights, but finding a way to, to be that consistent. And after the game, Al Horford and Brett Brown both said it, that they thought it was his physicality on that end of the floor, which... Turned what was generally a lackluster effort around, along with, uh, I would add Alec Burke's shot making too. Uh, you're just gonna need to see that more. And it's really exciting that he is going to, uh, to pass the ball better out of the post, cause guess what? He's going to be doubled by all of those teams. Boston did not forget him scoring 39 points against them on, uh, what was that like December 10th? Somewhere around there. He, uh, He's gonna get doubled a shit ton, but I, I think he is capable of of carrying the team. And then, you know, look, this is what Al Horford does. Al, Al Horford leads unlikely Eastern Conference playoff runs. No, I'm kidding. But uh Horford has looked better. I'll be interested to see what the uh the starting lineup looks is that a situational thing? But but it's good to see that that he is playing better. But yeah, you're gonna to have to, to ride Embiid and I understand the sentiment from those people a little bit that, like, if you take Simmons out of the paint, it's going to get a little cleaner. It's just kind of a, a fact of life in the fact – and it kind of works the same way when you take Embiid out of the lineup, then it becomes faster and there becomes more space for Simmons. But I just – I just – I'm a little worried about the ball handling. Yeah. The shot creation, I'm worried about them getting the ball up across the half court.
0: line. Yeah, especially if they go with Horford in the, in the starting lineup. And look, Al for a, a power forward center, he can handle the ball. But uh, you would like somebody else to help break that press for sure. Because Shake, especially early in the Orlando days, can struggle with that.
1: And, and Simmons is the failsafe. He can do that even if he's playing the four. If Shake needs a little help, whether that's a screen or somebody to – pass the ball to and bring it up the court, that is something he does easily. And that's, yeah, I'm worried about that. And so, yeah, I agree that the offense could be a little less clunky. There's a chance it could be a lot less clunky at times. But I'm worried about that shot creation. I'm worried about that ball handling. I'm worried about what happens when Joel Embiid sits. Ben Simmons then takes the offensive controls, and for the most part, he's been pretty good at that this season. So, yeah. Gonna need uh, gonna need MB to be at his top level, basically every night.
0: Yeah, and look, there's really not all that. It is sort of a shame because you talked about look, the spacing is just naturally going to get a little bit better with Ben Simmons off the floor, and that's it's true. Unfortunately, you're replacing him with Al Horford, who's not exactly the most lights out or quick-trigger three-point shooter on the planet. And it looks like he's going to get a decent chunk of those minutes. And look, so far, you mentioned it earlier, but Horford and Embiid together have looked fine. Like the other night, you know, I think 18 of, of Horford's 21 points came with Embiid on the court um, the other night against Orlando. So he's, he's played well. Uh, I think they have a, a positive, a pretty positive, like plus-nine net rating in 60 minutes in the four games that two of them have been on the court together. So they've, they've been okay. I'm a little, I, I want to see whether or not they'll be okay against Boston though. You know, it's one thing to be okay against Washington and San Antonio, but Boston is, I mean, they, they they're really good at this. Um,
1: who is Horford we'll guarding?
0: Yeah. We will see. They play, um, I mean,
1: they play four guards who can take you off the dribble, can pop threes off screens. Is he going to guard Marcus Smart?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe.
1: Maybe. Yeah. I, I could see that being the the case and you guard Marcus, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's
0: going to shoot 40% from three that series. You know it. He might,
1: but I think you also could say maybe we can get in his head. Hey, yeah. it, by the way, it's, it's hard to get in his head. He'll just keep shooting, but maybe he won't realize that he's missing a lot and he's, he's cold with, uh, with Horford going under those screens. But yeah, I'm a little worried about how they look together too, because in these Orlando games now, they did start together against Orlando.
0: Which they, they played Orlando in Orlando and it was a, a Sixers home game.
1: That's the only reason they won. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, the Amway center, a house of horrors for the Sixers. I've been there, I think four times over the past few years and they have all been very ugly performances. The, uh, the thing that they've done well, though, with Horford and Embiid together is that they've played him against the bench units, and it's been Milton, the Corkster, and Thibault. Yep. And Thibault is a little dicey, but look, he's a willing three-point shooter. And then the other two are your best three-point shooters, your volume guys and your most accurate guys. So when you have Tobias Harris passing up threes, and when you have Josh Richardson not looking like he knows how to play basketball – it's, it's a little dicey. I, you know, Milton is a good fit with those two, but I, Richardson and Harris, I, the Sixers coaching staff just needs to get honestly into both of their heads. If you're somewhat open from three and an Embiid kicks it out to you, just fucking shoot it.
0: Yes. Yeah, and look, this is, I, I posted this on Twitter the other day, a screenshot of Josh Richardson passing up a, a corner three where there isn't a defender within 10 feet of him. And someone's like, well, he kicked it over to Tobias Harris, who's a better three-point shooter. Okay, Josh Richardson's a career 41% shooter from the corner three. Like, those are shots that you need to take. They're too tough. They're too valuable. And they, they impact your spacing so much. If you pass on those consistently, they're the easiest ones to double off of. They should be the most the ones you could punish the other team the most with. You've got to take that shot. You've got it. And look, maybe they they ended up getting a three point shot for Harris. He missed it. It was a decent look. Okay, fine. It's the habit of passing up that shot. It's the knowledge the other team has that you will pass up that shot. You've got to take that shot. You've got and, and Harris does it too. There's so many times where. Richardson will pass up an open look, take a couple dribbles and take a contested floater. And it's like, what are we, what do we do? It drives me insane. Take the good, ugh. They need those two to step up in a big way. And I guess that's how we can transition a little bit. You know, we, uh, there's going to be a lot of talk of if they don't make it out of the second round, do you need to change Brett Brown and the coaching staff? And look, I get it. They've been here seven years. You want to make a change? Like we can have that conversation. But if you invested Landry Schammett, two first-round picks, one of which was unprotected, $190 million, and Tobias Harris isn't a guy capable of stepping up, being your second or third best player on a team that can get out of the first round, when you have a, a guy in Embiid playing at MVP level, don't you have to call into question investing all of those resources in, 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 into someone like Harris? If if Jimmy, the guy you got back in a Jimmy Butler trade is going to average – 10.8 points and 1.8 assists in Orlando. On
1: way below average efficiency.
0: On 35% shooting. And he can't elevate his game. Like at some point, you need to be able to overcome this loss of Simmons. You've, you've invested enough of your chips that you should be able to overcome. And look. You should at least be competitive. Especially Boston's a good team.
1: Yeah, Boston's Go good. Them. And I think Miami, let, let, let's see what they do.
0: If you have a legitimate MVP candidate or at least something – Joel Joel's not in the MVP race. But if he's playing at an MVP level, you should have enough complementary pieces around him that you should be able to beat that team. And I'm just not confident right now, even if Joel Embiid's playing at that level, that this team is built well enough that you have invested resources in guys who can step up where they can get past that opponent and they should be able to. That's That's all I'm saying.
1: I agree with you. I just think that's a conversation we'll have – when the, when the time comes. come
0: out. Yes. And
1: also, I think there's a decent chance we're going to have that conversation. But yeah, th- there is a lot of pressure, I would say, on Harris in particular, because of all the reasons you mentioned, all of the resources they poured into acquiring him and signing him. But yeah, especially, you can't lose a series if Embiid is averaging like 38 points a game or something like that. And he's awesome. And if if Harris and Richardson are just terrible, and that's the reason you lose, that'll look pretty bad. But let's—I'd like to see that happen first before we uh,
0: we no, make no, that, that, that proclamation. That's fair. That's fair. It's just—I—I I feel like the the tone of this podcast should not be so negative without Simmons. If they had done a little bit better job over the past few years, yeah. Um, I, I'm looking
1: at Harris's shot attempts on uh, on cleaning the glass. Forty-one percent from the mid range. <laughs> Yeah, And 29 from three. And when you look at the percentages of those two, I think it's 44% from the, uh, from the mid-range, 36% from three. You hear Brett Brown say it like when he gets the generic question.
0: And to be fair, the, the first two percentages you reference are percentage of field goal attempts and the last percentages you, you reference were field goal percentage. Yeah. Does he make them or not? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you hear Brett say all the time, I just want him hunting threes. And they run a play, they've run it a shit ton in Orlando. I think, I think it's called Horns Flare. I don't know what the Sixers call it, but they run a horn set where Harris sets the screen and then flares off the other person. Mm-hmm. That is di- uh, designed specifically to shoot the damn ball right away. And you know, they, the, that's the one set they've run a lot in Orlando. The other one they've run for Harris is where Richardson, who is generally guarded by the smallest, worst defender, they will run a pick and roll set where they're not even trying to get Richardson to, uh, to do anything off that screen. All they're trying to do is get a switch so Harris can attack a smaller guy. If Harris cannot make more of those post-up attempts around the rim or free throws, then it's a problem. And I don't want to say like he needs the perfect shot chart. You do need to win games and I'm sure against Boston, if they play them, they're going to need him to make some tough twos at some point. Like that's just the way playoff basketball works. Defenses take away the easy stuff. Sometimes you have to, to live with the hard stuff. But yeah, he, for, for somebody, you know, everybody was talking about Van Gundy and how good he is. And it was, I thought it was, I think Kyle tweeted this. He was like, convince me this isn't an infomercial on, <laughs> yeah. on how he would keep, uh, beat accountable. And it's funny. I think he talked about Simmons being a top five player on a on a podcast recently too, which is uh, which is pretty funny. But he he's a great analyst. The the one thing that he said that kind of bothered me le- last night in that game was he said, "Oh, Tobias Harris is dominating." Well, Stan, he has twenty two points on twenty one shots, so I don't wow. think he's dominating right now. He's hitting the boards pretty well, but come on, like if he's getting paid max money, you need better than that.
0: And. Uh- that's been Tobias Harris the entire time during this, this Orlando four game Orlando bubble, like 24 points on 21, 21 and a half field goal attempts, 3.3 field, 3.3 free throw attempts for 21 field goal attempts, 2.5 assists. He is handling the ball way too much to only have 3.3 free throw attempts and under three assists. Like he is just, there's so many times like the, The pull-ups, the floaters, the stuff that he will never get fouled with, the easy one station pass to the corner that he's missing, that he's, you know, turning down so we can take a pull-up 18 footer. Like, yes, he is a skilled basketball player. He can put the ball in the basket. He can do so at a pretty good clip, but he is, there's just so much lacking in terms of his peripheral skills and statistics for him to be your number two option. Like, it's hard to ramp up his usage. Because he's just not going to really add anything else to the table. Um, he's, he's using a lot of possessions and they're not getting nearly enough out of it. And a lot of people are going to look at it. Oh, look, he's averaging 24 a night. He's shooting 45% from the field, 39% from three. That's all great. It's just coming at the expense of everything else. And everything else is really important right now. I think his, his defense his, has his, kind of sucked his, in,
1: uh, in Orlando too.
0: Yeah. His, his game drives me insane because there's, there's so, so much obvious skill. That he's just, there's a couple of, of, of deficiencies that are really preventing it from being, I think, the player that a lot of people think that he is. And he's, they need, they need more out of him. They don't.
1: It's also frustrating because when you see him from like a leadership standpoint
0: and great dude,
1: <laughs> the off great court stuff.
0: Yeah. And I would love to sit here and do an hour long podcast about how awesome Tobias Harris is.
1: He's the man. And. He's obviously really smart too. I think a great chemistry guy and he just, I wish he understood how to trim the fat from his game, but it's, it's not there right now. And you know, I don't think trimming the fat from his game would make him Paul George right away, but it would certainly make him a more effective basketball player.
0: Yeah. I don't even know how to, where to begin with Josh Richardson. I don't.
1: Every time he puts the ball on the floor, it's it's scary right now. Yeah. And it's you know, he even missed the dunk when somebody doubled <laughs> they ran an elbow play and somebody doubled off him from the corner and he got a wide open dunk and he missed it and somebody put it back in, I forget.
0: Do you know he has not collected a defensive rebound in four games? No, did not know that. I don't even know how you do that. I don't even know how you do that. He needs if that to- was J.J. J. Reddick, the other Sixers podcast, would have a freaking aneurysm right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean you're watching just small like DJ Augustine get offensive boards in that game for uh for Orlando. Yeah, he's been terrible because in the first two games it was mostly defense where he just he wasn't good enough getting around screens. I think that got better over the the course of the the next two games. He did a decent job against I guess Fournier was his main matchup. I thought he was okay there. His offense, I just think when you play him off the ball, I think you have to tell him when you catch it, you need to either shoot it or get rid of it right away. If you have a lane where you can drive all the way to the basket and shoot a layup, that's fine. But I just think you have to take away anything herky-jerky, anything going sideways, there's nothing good that's happening right now. There's nothing good. And you can't put the ball in his hands more. You got to
0: treat him like a running back. Yeah. Do not Barry Sanders stop going east to west, yeah.
1: And obviously he's not the most efficient three-point shooter right now. I think he's only shooting 33% on the season, but I god these pull-ups are terrible that that he takes and I just don't like his, his decision making right now either. I mean, I, we talked last pod about how he struggled just getting the team into their offense. I don't think that has really changed. And I think you're seeing Brett put Burks, who he was initially reticent to have bring up the ball. You're seeing that just be like, all right, well, at least he'll just get us a shot and he's a better shooter. So he, uh, he can live with that. But yeah, Richardson is is terrible right now. And you know, I was watching that game, thinking, you know, we we've we've said a lot of this season. All right, well, the Butler path was was interesting, but they essentially traded what Sarich and Covington for Richardson. Okay, yeah. not great, but whatever. Guess what? Robert Covington actually took the open threes. So did Sarich.
0: Oh no, Rob! Like, look, I was I was okay with that path. Coming into the season, and look, I still, I, I almost wonder if whether that season where he was sort of like the primary in, in, in Miami, him. it might have ended up hurting him because now he thinks he's more than he is and he's, he's sort of developed these bad habits. He is not playing as well right now as what Robert Covington gave you when he was on the Sixers. Yeah.
1: Robert Covington, you did not have to ask him to shoot an no, open three. No, now no, I, I get no. it. It was really frustrating when he would brick ten of them in a row and the entire arena would boo him for some reason. But I mean, I just think like there's a sentiment from a lot of Sixers fans. Oh my God. Richardson is so much better than, than Covington. I, if that's the guy that the Sixers are going to get for the, uh for the rest of the playoffs, like it's not even close. You'd rather have Robert Covington.
0: No, no. And and they're different defenders. Like I do think Richardson is better on ball. Definitely. Covington's better off ball. You can, you can make a case there. Um, but he is, he's, he's, he's tough to watch. I don't, I don't really know how much more to say on, on him. I guess let's transition to Alec Burks, the star of the Orlando game. You know, I'm not the biggest Alex, Alec, Alec, Burks guy. You know that. Really? This is, this is no secret. Uh, they really need his skill set right now because like you said, they don't have all that many people that can help break a press. He can do that. They don't have all that many people that can create off a a screen, a high screen. He can do that. He can create for himself off of a high screen. I think he might be able to develop a little bit of chemistry with Joel Embiid. Like they had a couple of nice screens and look, some of the the pick and rolls he ran with Embiid the other night against Orlando, they weren't net really great plays. He just made tough step back shots and that's going to look great when he's making those tough step back shots. But, He'll probably go to the next two games where he's not making them and you're going to want to tear your hair out or at least what I have left of my hair. But he can get hot and he can get hot both from the perimeter and going to the basket. And the Sixers – the way I phrase it, I I said this to John Johnson. I'm like if he's the key to beating the Boston Celtics, you're in a really tough spot. And it's sort of the spot where the Sixers are in because he is a key and he can sort of change the dynamic of the team. He's just not good enough to do it consistently. And his, his, his court vision is going to drive me insane too. He at least gets to the free throw line, which I appreciate. Uh, but he will miss so many easy passes that he will drive you insane. And it's why when his shot's not going in, he can be a real negative offensively and take something off the table. But they're just, they're out of options. Like right now, I don't trust Cork in the playoffs as a defender. No. Matisse, uh, he gives you something. It's completely different than what Burks does, but you need Burke's skill set very much right now. They're in a real tough spot.
1: I, I like how Matisse is defended in the bubble.
0: He's been real good defensively, yeah. I think yep.
1: he's been not, – not only has he been good, but I think for the most part he's been smart too. And you're not seeing – and this is something that was already trending in that direction from the beginning of the season, but you're not seeing the negative, crazy gambling plays from him. And yeah, I think he's – He's going to be a huge deal now. I wonder if he's going to get bumped up to the second lineup because without Simmons, you just need more defense. I, I don't know. I, I agree with you about Cork. I think Cork and Shake in particular, they've been tuned up on defense in a lot of these games. Yep. A lot of one-on-one getting, getting destroyed. Now Shake on the offensive end after the first game has played really well. What do you have, eight assists against uh Orlando? I thought he was you know, and that's exactly the type of impact I'm looking for from him. He he doesn't need to make the uh the big shot at all times, although he he can do that, but just think he knows how to play
0: and Yeah. Five shots, eight assists, one turnover. He's good, yep. and that
1: that that helps you win. That's the oh,
0: sneaky good game from Shake. yeah. Yep. He
1: he finds a way to impact winning in big and small roles. And I think you know. Sometimes you watch him go one on one against players, and you think, "Ah, eh, maybe a little less of this." But he he seems to pick his spots well. Um, yeah, I agree with you about Burks, though. I don't know if uh if he can be consistent.
0: He, it's and he's played tremendous the entire time in Orlando so far, <laughs> which makes makes me worry about what the next four games are going to be like. But I'm mean, not. That, that's the you mentioned his passing Alex Burks.
1: He's got one pass behind the back. On, on the pick and yeah. roll. That's all he's got. If you're the other team, I think that's gotta be the can, first can thing in the scouting back, report.
0: Can we just go back to Matisse's behind the back pass and transition? The well, other night?
1: that might have been the worst pass I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs>
0: After. He made, he made that one spin move on the baseline like a couple minutes beforehand and he got this irrational confidence that all of a sudden he can do a, a behind the back pass and transition. We're, we're talking about two games ago now and in between there you've lost one of your two star players so i don't want to dwell on it too much but when you brought that up i had to uh i had i had to relive that that was one of the highlights of the orlando experience so far
1: did that not make his vlog that should have made it his vlog <laughs> after a, a typical i think it was a great steal he uh yeah he threw that might be the worst pass i've ever seen the, and the like like i don't know what he saw developing <laughs> the guy was stepping right into the passing lane—you <laughs> could see it a mile away—and he still threw it. Very embarrassing. But I think even in the uh the frustration that has been the last three Sixers wins, that's one where you think, "All right, whatever." He just don't, don't do that again. You know, it's one—it's one the, of those The things.
0: frustration that has been the last three Sixers wins. So a real good way of putting it. I think it was Michael Levin on Twitter who said the Sixers are have, are now three and one in Orlando after losing all four games, which is the way it feels.
1: The other I, thing about Matisse that's. Been pretty crazy. I don't know, you know, what he was doing when he was cooped up in his apartment besides TikTok and vlogging and all that shit. He is trying to dunk everything now. He looks super athletic vertically. And he's, I mean, it's its not really resulting in a ton of points, but he'll have two or three pretty nasty attempts per game. Yeah, so so I liked him. The other thing with Burks too, that that jumper is so weird. It is such a line drive. But yes. he's drilling him and it's it's a huge deal and yeah, I think he's been really good in the in the bubble and it's not just as the pick and roll guy either. He's been making a lot of shots off the catch, I think. You know, I just remember yeah, some some catch. zone possessions where he's yep. he's been the zone buster.
0: Off the catch step backs drives, getting the line, like he he has, and I think that's maybe why I can maybe grow to appreciate him more than I currently do is because he gets the free throw line at a decent clip. I just wish if he could just make the most basic of passes, <laughs> I would be way more willing to buy in. He is gonna get goaded into so many bad shots, but I mean that's if I was the
1: the opponent, I would not even. Hesitate, helping when they run that spread pick and roll on the right side. The the player on the left, I, I would, oh, have, yeah, the big, I would have the big, I would have the big up, yep. and the player on the left park that guy right in the lane and <laughs> yeah. dare him to make that skip pass because I'm not sure he yep. can do it. But yeah. he has been awesome, and we are shitting on him way too much for somebody who has been
0: awesome. <laughs> he, he, yeah.
1: Glenn Robinson, by the way, sneaky. They need him back. Yeah, they do.
0: Yeah, they do.
1: Because, like you said, I don't trust Cork at all the way he's playing right now, which is something that's not. Totally unforeseen.
0: No, I I didn't trust him beforehand. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's been fun to watch him have those outbursts and grow into a forty percent free throw or a three point shooter. By the way, he shoots seventy two percent from the line.
0: He should be way higher than that. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah, probably doesn't bode well for his uh his three point shooting in the future. But Glenn Robinson, yeah, I I don't know when he's going to come back. I know. He has practiced a little bit, but that, uh, that hit pointer when he ran into Terrence Ferguson in that Oklahoma City game, he needs to get back f- from that because the Sixers, they just, they do need a few more options because they are relying on a lot of players who you would say are not the most consistent guys. So, no. so strength in numbers and having more options to throw at uh, a specific problem because it, it, look, there could be some nights where maybe Burks doesn't give you the off the dribble stuff and he's missing his jumpers, but maybe Robinson is making his catch and shoot threes and he's playing better defense. So, you know, that would be, that would be some reason for, for optimism. I think like putting Robinson around Embiid as a spacer, that feels yeah. like that's pretty clean.
0: Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Robinson is and this is sort of what made the, I don't know my role line earlier in the season. So surprising. Like, Put him in the corner, make open shots, don't get embarrassed defensively. Like he should be pretty reliable in that role. Uh, It's when you ask him to do more where you'll run into problems, but the Sixers won't really ask him to do more. So, Yeah. Um,
1: Anything else? I'm excited to watch Joe go crazy.
0: Yeah. I think he has it in him. What is he? Uh, 30 points, 14 rebounds, three and a half assists so far in Orlando, shooting 54% from the field. And getting the free throw line more than 11 times per night. Uh, He is playing extremely well, and they're going to need him to play at that level, not only against, you know, Indy and Orlando and the Pacers, I said the Indy already, and the Spurs, but also against Boston and Miami. And look, I think he can have success against those two matchups, especially Boston. You know, I think that's one of the changes from Boston from previous years why the Sixers might have a better chance is because I think he can exploit his matchup a lot easier than he did in prior years. But you're still going against a really fundamentally sound team defense, a really smart defensive coach in Stevens. So it's not going to be easy, but he does have an easier one-on-one matchup. It will be interesting to see how everybody responds to this. I guess we'll end end this on this. We've spoken in the past. Do you prefer to get Miami in the first round if it means you have Milwaukee in the second round, or would you rather go Boston-Toronto to then avoid Milwaukee until the conference finals? Does the loss of Ben Simmons change that equation for you at all? It might, if, if you can get him back
1: at a high level for the potential Milwaukee series. Yeah, it might. I just think it's hard to say with certainty. I, I think Embiid's physical advantage over Boston centers probably looms a little larger. At this point, because you're going to play through him to a pretty insane degree, you would imagine. And wouldn't it be funny if it was the bizarro 2018 sixers celtic series where the Sixers are the ones who are shorthanded, Boston's coming in playing fantastic basketball like the Sixers were before that, just a lot of good reasons to feel about themselves – or a lot of reasons to feel good about themselves, sorry – and the Sixers, and, and Al Horford is now on the Sixers. Yeah. And they turn the tables on him. That would be, uh, I would enjoy the narratives from that one, especially the, the Britt Brown, Brad Stevens was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think Miami really can handle him in the post either. I think Bam is obviously a very good player, very good two-way player. If Embiid has his mind set to it, I think he could destroy him in the post. You saw it in the, I already mentioned the game where he, and I mean Embiid, he threw the ball away at the end. It was like a late December game in Miami. Maybe the Sixers, one of their 15 most ridiculous losses this season <laughs> where they, they choked it away and Tyler Hero hit a three to, to tie things up and they lost in overtime. Um, Embiid was dominant down the stretch of that game and I think he presents a physical advantage over Miami. And, and the other thing I would say is that Miami and Boston, they will give you threes. They are going to double the shit out of Embiid and make the Sixers three point shooters beat him. And I think, you know, it's, it's tough. Like you said, the Sixers three point shooters are <laughs> pretty uninspiring at this moment, but at some point I think you're just going to need Joe to, to take what the defense gives him. And, uh, try and physically dominate when he gets those one-on-one matchups. So I guess that it, it's a long-winded way of saying that if Simmons can, uh, can come back in time for a Milwaukee series, then yeah, I don't think I would mind playing Boston first in, in the first round. But I guess that, that depends on whether it's realistic or not. If he comes back, it seems like maybe there's a chance it isn't.
0: Yeah, I think you're. I think I largely agree with you, but like you sort of alluded to at the end, I'd like to see what the end result is after he has the scope done and they get a little more info on, part of whether the reason, or not it's realistic for him to come back.
1: Part of the reason I wanted to watch Miami is I wanted to watch him guard Jimmy. Yeah. Then that goes, uh, that goes by the wayside. I don't know. Jimmy Glenn Robinson doesn't have the same or sizzle <laughs> or Jimmy Matisse or somebody. <laughs>
0: All right, I think uh, I think that's a pretty good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man.